to be a party to seeing millions of people starve to death in a war led by a despotic Saudi Arabian regime. That, of course, is Bernie Sanders. You recognize his gravelly, phlegmy voice. Uh, he led the charge, among others, but he was one of the leaders of get the United States involvement in the war on Yemen, get, get, get us out of there. All right? He's been speaking passionately for this about this for several years now, and they finally got the vote, and it was unanimous. And Bernie Sanders was, was very excited about accomplishing something major as a U.S. senator. So when he gets out in the hallway, he runs into NBC's Andrea Mitchell. Uh, you went over to see Elizabeth Warren last night. Uh, presumably 2020 came up. You share a lot of common beliefs. Do, do, you, do you really think that the American people are eagerly interested? I talk to Elizabeth Warren yeah, every I single do. day. No, I don't. I think maybe the American people want to know how we're going to provide health care to all of our people. Let's discuss it. How we're going to take on the greed of the pharmaceutical industry. How we're going to end this terrible war in Yemen. You know, the fact that two senators get together to chat becomes a big deal. That's a real problem, I think, from the media that we should well, be thinking about. He's absolutely freaking right. He is so right. I don't think there's any any change in it. I don't think, think there's anything doing about it, but good God. So I heard some talk this morning. Uh, somebody was uh, running down the candidates on the D side, running against Trump, right? Because the presidential election is our favorite TV show, apparently. And it was, uh, Kamala Harris came up, and they talked about how, well, she's a black woman, and this, and black woman, that, and black. Nothing about policy at all. Just was just not even on the radar that she's for, you know, more this, less that, percentage that. Her main focus is kids who, who blank. None of that. Just she's a black woman. The issues that we discuss, well, we don't discuss the issues. The things that we do discuss, discuss around presidential elections. So instead of talking to Bernie about policy stuff, including a win that he had just you know, pulled off of of helping, in his mind, do the right thing, get us out of uh, involvement in the war in Yemen. Now, want to talk about whether or not he met with Elizabeth Warren and the, the gossip around that and what that means. Just so frustrating. It's got to be amazingly frustrating for him. It's frustrating for me. Could we talk about issues and then pick whoever we think is on whatever side of which issue that we like, hear their argument about the issue? No. No, we can't do that, apparently. Very frustrating. Uh, and good for Bernie for getting in um, Andrea Mitchell's face. I mean, because she's a, a senior reporter for NBC News, highly respected on on his side in terms of politics, no doubt about it. But he said, come on. That's what you want to talk about? You really think that's what America wants to hear? And she said, yes, I actually do. And you know what? She might be right. Um, as I move from issues into the horse race that is the presidential election, MoveOn.org had a straw poll the other day. Straw polls are stupid and indicate nothing and almost never choose who is going to end up being the candidate or the president. Yeah, a poll made of straws has almost zero structural integrity. <laughs> um, this is the, the, the earliest I've heard of. MoveOn.org was an organization, if I remember correctly, that rose up during the Clinton impeachment and their whole thing was, let's move on from this. Let's do something else. And it has become a website that's uh, dedicated to helping uh, way lefty causes, progressive causes, however you want to define it, the left of the Democratic Party. And they're, they're pretty powerful out there. And so they had a straw poll uh, asking people who they want to be the nominee for the Democrats in 2020 and run against Donald Trump. 
they backed Bernie Sanders by a lot over Hillary Clinton in 2016 to give you an idea of, of where they are in their politics. An early straw poll of members of the group MoveOn.org shows a wide-open competition for liberal voters in the 2020 race. Uh, I'll jump to the lead. Beto O'Rourke got the biggest number of anybody who got any numbers. Uh, He got 29%. There were 30 candidates listed. That's too many. 30. I'm sorry, he got 15%, Beto O'Rourke. He finished in first place with 15%. 29%, the biggest number, the plurality as they called it, the biggest group said, we don't want any of these 30. So imagine that. They came up with a list 30 people long. That's a lot of people. And the number one response was, I don't like any of these people. And that was twice as big a group as those who chose Beto O'Rourke, who who came in at 15.6, just ahead of Joe Biden at 14.9. Biden has to be really happy with that. He has to be really happy that he finished that high up. Bernie Sanders then at 13.1%. If you want to hear the rest of it, I, I don't know if you do. Kamala Harris got 10%. Elizabeth Warren, 6%. Um... And you go on down the list. But, boy, so you throw you throw out 30 names to a bunch of progressives, and uh, at least in this case, the plurality said, I don't like any of these names. So it is about as wide open as you can get on the D side of who's going to run against Trump. Who knows how that's going to shake out. By the way, I didn't see Hillary Clinton's name uh, anywhere oh, thank in, goodness. in that top list. As she continues to think she could run. What if that's the twenty nine percent? The they they all wanted her, and her name wasn't on yeah. there. They're just disappointed that Hitler, that her name wasn't on there. Wow, that's something. I don't even know what would be a good choice if if I were uh, if if I were a progressive, if I were a Democrat, and I wanted to pick somebody to beat Trump. I don't even know what kind of person I would choose. He's such he's so. He's so, um, you know, it's such a different style. It's such a different everything. It's such a different constituency. I don't even know what kind of person I would choose. Do you choose someone that is is going to be able to mix it up on his level with the sarcasm and the and the snark and the, on the debate stage and all that sort of stuff? Or do you go with the above it all, um, more traditional normalcy sort of thing, hoping that America will think, yeah, I want calm and normal in a leader like that. I don't know. I, re- I really don't have the slightest idea. I, I guarantee you they got tons of polling going on and, and the best experts that exist on planet Earth taking a look at that to try to figure it out. I don't know if any of those 30, and I'm almost certain they don't have, <laughs> have it in them to, to beat Trump, but I, I'm fairly certain Beto runs circles around the rest of that field in terms of if, if it's those 30 who end up kind of being... Or even the the top fifteen of those end up being the the kind of the field of it. I think Beto comes out on. Haven't watched him in a couple of those debates with Ted Cruz. I think he would look really good up there against a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe all of them, like you said. For one thing, just looking so much younger. A and, lot of those names on the list are dang. They're eighty years old. Eighty freaking years old. Or very it, close to it. it. It probably shouldn't matter, but he is so much better at kind of the the digital relating. Uh, social media stuff sure. than, than the rest the of that Facebook field. The Facebook living yeah. his whole campaign and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Which Him, him air drumming to the who in the drive-thru after a debate, things oh, like that. Elizabeth no, Warren doesn't do that? No, no. <laughs> at least mm-hmm. not that I've seen. Joe Biden's not doing that? I'm looking up at Cohen, his interview with uh, Stephanopoulos on ABC, which they're going huge with. 
He went with the uh, the black turtleneck under a sport jacket, really trying to soften his image. He's just kind of just a regular dad who got caught up in some weird circumstances with a really bad character, this Trump guy, who I didn't really know, and uh, and he, he led me down a bad path, and uh, I feel bad about it now. So that's the direction he's trying to go. I'm sure his uh, lawyers and whoever's trying to remake his image came up with the whole turtleneck sweater thing. I, I think know. the direction he's trying to go is away from prison. <laughs> Good luck with that. So, I don't know if you've run into this situation like I have. Maybe you're smart and don't get on the scale. But I got on the scale this morning and saw the largest number I've seen in years. I have, as I've mentioned, thrown I've thrown off all restraints with eating. I now eat whatever's put in front of me and until I'm sick. That's my new thing. And now I've got in front of me... How not to gain weight over the holidays, this list. How to not gain weight over the holidays. It's too late for me. Maybe you can be saved. What is that? Is that some sort of bar that they made over there? What is the flavor on that? You've had one, right, Sean? There's baked goods out there. Yeah, I, I believe it to be of the banana nut variety yeah, of bread. Banana, bread. Nut, banana nut bars. That's what I need. Yeah, a few of those. A few of those. Uh, how not to gain weight over the holidays, among other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. And I have to go check. I don't think they even paid any money to that tabloid. Okay? I don't think we made a payment to that tabloid. I was asking the question, let's, I don't think we, a, we made a payment. Did you groan when you heard that? Ah, oh, geez, are they going to talk about that? I do. I hear that and think, oh, God dang it. You paid Stormy Daniels and the National Enquirer, Cohen this, Manafort that. Are you you enjoying this, every single wrinkle of this, or is it killing you? It's killing me. You think you're tired of it now? Wait till January 20th when they start shooting the subpoena cannon around, as some people have called it. When the Democrats have the House. Oh, my God. I wonder if Trump might not actually have going for him on some level that people are going to get so tired of the story that, that a chunk of the country might tune out on it. You know, on the other hand, people might tune back in when you finally get to the end, when you announce, okay, here are the results of what we found. The Mueller report is in, and this is what we found. I might perk up then, but the in-between daily, this happened or this didn't happen, anonymous sources say, I just can't take it. I cannot. Especially when you're as heavy a man as I am. Uh, Stepped on the scale this morning, which according to this piece of paper I've got in my hand is a good idea. I do think it's a good idea to weigh yourself all the time, but I saw a number I haven't seen in a long time. It's like it doesn't even seem like it's possible. Um, I hadn't weighed myself for a couple of days because we were traveling for a doctor's appointment for my son. I did eat like a, a like <laughs> like a beast, just insane. Just not even utensils, just face right into the food. Yeah, I even told my kids that I because uh, we went to a restaurant on the way home uh, last night because we were just shot. And I said, you've never seen me eat like this. I'm going to eat with both hands. There's going to be food like dripping out of my mouth, maybe coming out of my nose a little bit. It's going to be disgusting. You might want to stay back so you don't get get hurt. You've never seen your dad eat like this. Here's how not to gain weight over the holidays. 
And then I've got the latest research on weight gain. Whether you're interested in doing it now or not, I don't know. But first of the year, losing weight is almost always the number one New Year's resolution. So you're going to want to hear the latest uh, research on weight gain and weight loss. Bottom line, this study suggests you only need to do two things to keep weight off during the holidays. I'm guessing eat less and exercise. <laughs> if one of those things is run a marathon, your your list is stupid. A recent study shows the average person will pile on anywhere from 0.8 to 2.2 pounds this holiday season. I put on 0.8 this morning. Hey, congratulations. Pansies. Step up your game. Research says all you need to do is to weigh yourself regularly. I do think that's huge. I've known lots of people in my life who said I don't weigh myself. I go by how my clothes fit. Those people are almost always fat people um, who say that. Uh, I, I, I have to weigh myself every day. It's so easy to fool yourself and think you're not gaining weight. The scale don't lie. And uh, I've been eating like crazy, and hey, turns out the scale's given me the result that you would expect if you do. I don't know. Get a scale and weigh yourself. Uh, keep track of the amount of physical activity you do. Well, it's easy to do because I do none. So I can, at the ever, end of every day, say, how much did I do today? Zero. Uh, <laughs> how much physical activity do you need to do to burn off the calories and popular foods and drinks? That's always disappointing when you get on the treadmill and you run for like an hour and a half and you realize you burned off maybe a third of the calories in one Snickers bar. Very disappointing. When subjects were split into two groups, those who knew how much exercise would be needed to burn off what they ate didn't gain any weight. Well, I don't. that doesn't surprise me. The sort of person that has memorized how many calories are in everything and how much they need to exercise to get that, yeah, they probably are, are thin. You ever go out to eat with really fit people? It's just annoying. We had a, a couple, both really fit, very nice people, but they just, you know, I'm going to cheat. You know, I'm going to go ahead and cheat and put salad dressing on. Why not? It's Friday night. Oh, shut up. Shut up with your cheating. Watch me eat this chocolate cake. For an appetizer. <laughs> exactly. Just to get warmed up. Yes, waiter. I would like to start with dessert, please. Um, so they put together a whole bunch of information in the New York Times the other day, which I thought it was interesting. They gathered a couple of doctors and a bunch of different studies and put together a list of things that we think we know and things that we think we don't know about obesity and weight loss and all that sort of stuff. Generally, because there are, there, are, there are different beliefs. Obviously, some people think this diet's the best. Some people think this happens. But this, is, this was a section on, these are generally agreed upon by all the experts. So we think this is probably true because everybody agrees on this. On these things, some people differ. On these things, we don't think are true. Um, and one thing they came across is whether you're doing a low-carb diet or a low-fat diet or whatever your diet is, almost all the diets will work if you stick to them, and they almost all have in common that you eat less. If you're paying attention to how many fat grams you're taking in or or sugar grams or calories or or, or whatever it is your particular thing is, the net result is you eat less and you will probably lose weight. And, and lifestyles certainly factor into this a whole bunch, but it's... So much about weight gain is an equation in terms of calories in, calories out. Like it, to just focus on one over the other can help, but it's it's combining them all together and realizing that you know that's the input equation to to figure out how you want to get to. Me. They think that all diets don't affect uh, diff, uh, all people the same way. So some people react better to a low carb diet than they would a low fat diet, and vice versa, and all that. I didn't know that, but that seems to be an agreed upon point that. For whatever reason, and they're not exactly sure, some people do better with different diets. 
So if your friend lost a lot of weight on the blank diet, it might not work for you the same way it worked for them. And we've also talked a lot about how bodies have this kind of pegging weight, this weight yeah. that they peg themselves I'm at. Go- I'm going to get to that. I, I've maybe I don't know if this goes with what you're saying, but I've also heard lately that that is. It's more true when you're trying to pull the lever of diet. It's less true when you're incorporating exercise into it as well. Oh, I could believe that. But that does seem to be an agreed-upon point, uh, agreed point, and we've talked about this a lot. And it's, it's the most amazing thing I've learned about weight, and it's just disappointing. At some point, somehow, and they're not exactly sure, your brain gets a weight programmed into it of what your, your brain thinks your weight ought to be. And if you try to get below, and, and you might not like that weight. You might think that weight doesn't make me look good with my shirt off. Uh, but if you try to get below that weight, your your body goes into crisis mode and starts hoarding calories and uh, and, and trying and fighting hard, as hard as, and lowering your metabolism and trying to get you back to that weight, which is just disappointing. They've got to unlock the key to that so we can all take a drug or a shot. And, well, and, the, and again, nobody likes to hear it, but the key to that is the exercise, right? Because your body goes into I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> fasting mode because you're trying to simply restrict the calories that you're intaking. Yeah, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not going to exercise. I should, but I'm not going to. <laughs> But here is what I thought was most interesting out of this. Maybe you're saying to yourself, Jack, get to the part that is interesting. Um, Why have people become fatter in recent decades? They ask these different researchers. That is still a big unanswered question. There is not an agreed upon answer to why people have gotten fatter in recent decades. After all the research and talk and discussion, the other things they agree upon, this they still do not. The problem here is that so many things have changed in our society. While the obesity epidemic was gathering steam, it's hard to nail down what it was. Some changes ought to have lowered weights. The availability of cheaper, fresher fruits and vegetables, the popularity of walking in gyms. Man, when I was, you know, back back in the day when I was a kid, there wasn't anybody who went to a gym. And running, I remember when that first came on the scene, was seen as just something as weirdos did. Just, and now practically, you know, all kinds of normal people go to gyms and that sort of stuff. Education in schools is all, is all kinds of better. School lunches are healthier. Other societal trends, however, larger portion sizes, a growing tendency to snack all day as opposed to just three meals. That's a big one in my life. More people eating more meals out. We know that's true. And they say here in the New York Times... A cultural acceptance of overweight to the point now that it almost seems normal. There's been a lot of talk about fat shaming and you shouldn't make fun of people for their weight and all that sort of stuff. And I get it. It's not nice. But because we don't make fat jokes anymore, we're all comfortable being fat. And that contributes to it, according to the New York Times. And the decline in smoking. Smokers are thinner than than people who don't smoke. (laughs) Just a fact. They still haven't nailed down why we're fatter than we used to be after all this research. That surprised me. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, high tech on the move and moving out of Silicon Valley. We've got hundreds of bogus bomb threats across the country and the worst times to drive this holiday season. I will keep that in mind. Um... I was going to talk to my kids about the danger of driving yesterday. Why I thought that and why I didn't is kind of a, an interesting story. Right. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I know you're going to talk about driving here in a little bit, but um, so at the zoo yesterday, yeah. that was kind of a payoff for the kids to get to this big doctor's appointment we went to. 
And um, so we go to the zoo and they got a gondola ride or gondola, whatever you say. And so it goes up pretty high, you know, like one of those ski lift type mm-hmm. things. And it was really high and the kids were really scared. And I was, <laughs> I wanted to say, and I, then I decided that's probably not good. This is the safest thing we'll all do all day. You know, it's dangerous when we're just in traffic. That's where you're going to get killed. <laughs> Out there on the highway, that's a death trap, but this is safe. And I thought, you know, that's probably not the best angle with a six-year-old to try to make them feel safer. When you're in the car, are you kidding? It's the thing we do every day, that's way more dangerous than this is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not the right angle. It works on me, but let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, check on the move and moving out of Silicon Valley. New York Times reporting the latest to outgrow the area, Apple. Shrinking talent pools, skyrocketing cost of living, Apple announcing it is taking its talent hunt across the U.S., including building a billion-dollar campus in Austin, expanding its presence there to over 11,000 workers, and becoming Texas' largest private employer. Really? That's a big deal. Now, you don't... These companies don't specifically point out... Look, it's this much cheaper to live in Texas for us as a company. I don't know why, if they just think politically that's going to cause them problems or whatever, but I know so many smaller businesses that have gone specifically to Texas, and they hit me with the numbers of taxes, incentives here, incentives there, versus California, for instance, or any of your bluer states, and they're just overwhelmingly, you can't not make that decision. Apple also establishing a location in San Diego, adding a thousand jobs there, setting up shop in Culver City. You know, not, so obviously they going to San Diego is not for any tax breaks that right. leave in the state of California. Right. But I found it interesting. The article points out that a lot of the tech companies that are moving to these various cities are doing so because of the universities located nearby. They're all cozying up to the universities so they can tap into the AI talent and all of the uh, younger people. People who are working on uh, technology sure. development. Austin is, the same, I think, the second biggest college town in America. Yep. All the expanding... In uh, terms of numbers of college kids. All the expanding uh, coming out after Amazon that announced it's moving to Queens, New York, and Arlington, Virginia. Google is reportedly shopping for more real estate in New York that would allow it to double its workforce to 14,000 there. So a lot of these companies are expanding outward. And the other thing, the other reason they're doing it is it's cheaper to move to the employees rather than try to bring the employees mm. into San Francisco, the Bay Area, because of the high cost of living. So it's actually cheaper to go out, uh, you know, move out to uh, other areas. What are you, I wonder, it, it, like, so Apple needs a bunch of employees. Right. What qualifications do they need? Do you need to have a... A degree in computer programming, or I don't even have any idea. I'm quite sure. You know, you're looking for the best coders, the best computer programmers, the best minds you can find these days. There's big competition now for what they keep referring to as a shrinking talent pool. Dozens of bomb threats made to schools, federal buildings, and businesses reached across the country, including a lot of cities around the West. Authorities think they were meant to cause disruption and are not considered to be credible. Like other cities, though, nationwide emails were sent to San Diego, Ventura, San Francisco Bay Area, Sacramento, demanding $20,000 in Bitcoin to be delivered before the end of the day or else a bomb would detonate. But they were taken seriously enough that the FBI made an announcement about it yesterday. So there must have been something going on there. Because I've got to assume that a lot of your bigger high schools get bomb threats once a week. Sure. That they just don't announce or pay much attention to. 
Um, so why did the FBI take this one more seriously? I mean, we may never know. Yeah, and I think a lot of it's because besides schools, that they were uh, making threats to uh, federal office buildings and to businesses and demanding and, and pretty much trying to extort Bitcoin out of these places. I would pay you Bitcoin to avoid this bomb going off, but I don't have any idea how to get it <laughs> right. or transfer it. I don't even know what it is. It, There's that problem. Just been announced today, China is temporarily cutting its 25% tariff on U.S.-made cars, trucks, and auto parts for the next 90 days beginning January the 1st. The Chinese finance ministry said it hopes the U.S. and China can speed up their negotiations to remove all other tariffs on each other's products. So it looks like China is making a gesture to try and speed up our tariff talks on this news. Which was the point of the mm-hmm. Trump people relaxing on our end. Right. And then we got something for it, even though the media claimed that Trump blinked and caved and it didn't work. It looks like China's playing ball on this. Right. And that brings us to a really good time now to check in with Positive Sean and get his one-word market update for today. Well, uh, the market's stumbling. Mm. But, you know, mm. little, little movements, nothing big. Okay. Stumbling. Christmas just around the corner. Ah, quit saying that. Christmas just around the corner. Said it again. Ah, damn it. <laughs> and with it comes holiday traffic. AAA reporting it expects 102 million Americans to hit the road this season. It turns out they crunched the numbers. Wednesday, December 19th is predicted to be the worst day for driving in Seattle. Traffic in Los Angeles is predicted to peak uh, the following day, the 20th. Also Thursday, December 20th and Friday, the 21st. Looks like it'll be the worst day in the San Francisco Bay Area. They have crunched the numbers. That's what they came up with. If traffic gets worse in the San Francisco Bay Area, what's it look like? (laughs) Hard to imagine. No, just not moving. Just a mass. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Thank you, Squawky. I actually saw a bald eagle at the zoo yesterday. Behind bars? Uh, you know, it's the kind of zoo that's got the open enclosures where they get to fly oh, around and stuff right. like that. It's right. not like the old tiny zoos where everything's a, a cement cage <laughs> with metal bars and they got like six square feet. The, the trouble with the new modern zoos, I mean, it's, it's a lot cooler for the animals yeah. you see them in their natural habitat, but if they are interested in being seen, they're so far away, yeah. you know? They're behind a log a half mile that way. How exciting. Got to go at feeding time. Yeah, yeah. yeah Actually saw the um, saw the hyenas being fed yesterday. Oh, nice. I don't know if I'd ever seen a hyena up close. Those are a scary-looking beast. Oh, Holy crap. That's why they're portrayed in the cartoons the way they are, I guess, because they are scary. A um, couple of notes before I want to get to the caravan down in Tijuana and how people are reacting in Mexico. Some of the phrases being used in recent days might sound familiar. Are they racist in Tijuana? Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation.
considering a plan to possibly tax residents for sending text messages. Yeah. Do we need this? No. If anything, put a giant tax on people who, lois- who leave voicemail messages. <laughs> <laughs> Millennials have killed voicemails. Yeah, I don't want them either. Text me. We all have that experience, don't we? You call somebody, they don't answer. You text them, they, re- they respond right away. So they're there. They're even looking at their phone. They just don't want to talk to you. That happens. What are you going to do? I've already mentioned it once today that I'm sick of any news about Cohen and Manafort and this and that. I'm interested in the story overall. I want to hear the results at the end of it. But the daily back and forth and what is true and what isn't true in anonymous sources is wearing me out. So we thought we'd check in with Devlin Barrett, Washington Post reporter, um, who focuses on national security and law enforcement, and see what we can learn about the Mueller report. Are we we toward the end? And Maybe we're going to wrap this up. Devlin, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, how are you? I'm sick of the whole thing. <laughs> That's how I am. Uh, is there any way of knowing if we're getting toward the end? And there's there really isn't a way of knowing for sure. But there are some interesting clues that Mueller is leaving as he as he proceeds through this. And that that's what I that's what I wrote about in today's okay. paper. And what are those clues? So he has flipped a bunch of witnesses, right? That's one thing that's sort of understood uh, that he has gotten, you know, a number of folks to plead guilty and provide evidence. I watched the interview with uh, Cohen this morning. He wore the turtleneck, really softened his image. I thought that was a good move. (laughs) That's right. And Cohen is a great example of of a curious sort of pattern in Mueller's work, which is that he's letting his cooperators plead and be sentenced very early in the process. That's not how it normally works at the Justice Department. Normally, you would wait until any cooperator has testified in public before you would uh, let them be sentenced. Um, And the reason you do that is because you have that stick of a heavy sentence hanging over them even when they're on the witness stand. Here, Mueller's doing the opposite. He's letting them take their sentences now, meaning he won't have a stick holding over them if he ever wants to uh, call them to testify. And some veteran lawyers, including a former independent counsel, have read a lot into that. And and what, what did they determine from that? So uh, Robert Ray, who who once ran the Whitewater investigation, he thinks that uh, Mueller's uh, practice of letting these guys take their sentences means that Mueller is almost done, that in the next three months we're going to see some kind of report and some kind of revelation because if Mueller was holding these guys back for some big trial, uh, he wouldn't let them take their sentences. Uh, That's interesting, you know, and I'm sure you've noticed this too. There are a lot of people with really good credentials. I mean, they, 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 they have a reason to know what they're talking about, but they have completely different opinions on these, these various guesses, <laughs> these maneuvers. I, mean, I see a lot of that. And, and some, I, I heard, um, I think it was Chris Christie who thought the fact that Cohen is going to jail uh, means that Mueller thinks he still has some information or thought he still had some information that he could squeeze out of him and is still hoping to get. You, you, don't, you don't buy that one? Um, look, I think anything's possible. Certainly in the context of mob cases, you do sometimes see guys go to jail, and then even after they're in prison, suddenly they'll decide, you know what, I want to cooperate. Because you can at any time, more. is that correct? At any point, Cohen could today or next week say, you know what, right. I, I was at that meeting, and here's what happened. He could do that at any point. Right. The problem is your trading value goes down, right? So what happens is the longer you wait, the less valuable it is and the less chance you have to actually cut into your sentence. Much easier to do it on the front end than the back end, but you can do it on the back end. For some of these people like Cohen and Manafort, I just think, well, you lived a life of crime your entire adult life, and now you're in jail. That's kind of the way these things work. <laughs> well, 
Right, and and certainly, you know, there's there's a big question if if you are a person who has spent years lying about your finances, lying about about how you do your work. Uh, when it comes time to pay the piper and say the truth, you know, I, I've covered con men who, who really can't keep to a straight story. Really? Um, and that, that may be part of this sort of more of a psychological dynamic to this than than, than a, any tactical that, or strategic dynamic. That is interesting. I had not heard of that. Because I was wondering about that when uh, this all went down with Cohen on Friday. And I thought, well, you know, when he made his, his, uh, his, um, his point the other day that I'm out of this prison or whatever. Right. I can't imagine what it's like to... Always be lying. I mean, your whole life, you know, all day, every day, you're kind of you're constantly working a lie. Whether it's the business stuff or people who have affairs or whatever, it just seems like it'd be so tiring and just wear on you. Do you just at some point get used to it? So you're suggesting that that you kind of get into a mental state where your natural response is to lie, and maybe that's how they deal with the pressure. Look, there's a great example in the Manafort case. In the Manafort case, they filed a document just a few days ago that said that at one point when, when the government confronted Manafort with his new lies after he'd already pled guilty, um, even his own lawyer pointed Manafort to something in his own lawyer's notes and said, no, look, this is what you said just a few days ago. And then Manafort said, oh, okay. Then, and then he made up another story that tried to match what was in his own lawyer's wow. notes. That doesn't suggest a guy who's got a grand strategy. Wow, that's interesting. So I'd like to know if they were like that as kids, if they're those, those kids that just make up stories all the time, or I don't know. I don't know what that is psychologically. The inability to tell the truth. Not even part of a plan. They just they just can't tell the truth. That's wild. I have, I have come across it in, in other cases, I will say that much. Um, so as far as this whole Mueller thing coming to an end... The, most of this stuff seems to be now about campaign finance and then possibly obstruction of justice around the investigation into paying off the uh, the women. Not as much Russia stuff. Is that a proper reading? Well, the, the thing you have to remember is that there's different investigations being run by different people. Mueller is in charge of the Russia, Russia question. The campaign finance stuff is actually being done by different parts of the Justice Department. So Mueller still has to answer the basic question of, was there a conspiracy by any Americans with the Kremlin? And that's still his job to answer. And other parts of the Justice Department will ultimately tackle the, the campaign finance question. I was excited about the idea of uh, Mueller comes forward with an all-encompassing report that, that, that gets to the bottom of everything. But, uh, for instance, Alan Dershowitz, Harvard Law professor, he's been arguing for quite a while that, no, this will be one side of the story, and we'll have to get the other side of the story from uh, the Trump people and then we'll battle it out with that. Is that going to play out that way? Well, Trump has promised to have a counter-report. Uh, we will see, you know, whose who's report is better written, more more uh, detailed, more more convincing. Uh, but Trump is already promising a counter-report that he's supposedly already writing, which is a little confusing to me because I don't know how you would counter a thing you haven't actually read yet. Right. The but, closer we get to the uh, 2020 election, though, the more I think we, we should let the voters decide, get all this stuff out there and... You want to keep them or not, and let it play out that way. Right, and and certainly that's that's the argument that folks like former FBI Director Jim Comey have have made. That you know, it's ultimately it's up to the voters to make the choice here. Sure, I like that. I think that might be the cleanest way to handle it. The whole, how much? Um, I came across a story just the, just the other day that there was, uh, you know, still a loud voice in Nancy Pelosi's caucus there for impeachment. How much push do you think there's going to be for that come January? I think. I think it really depends as to what Mueller does in his report and how forceful the report is. Obviously, there are, there is a, a 
at minimum a handful of lawmakers among the Democrats who think there should be hearings on the question of impeachment. But I think whether the, that argument gets any traction or gets any steam totally depends on, on Mueller's report. Pelosi herself has made a number of statements over many months. She seems to be leaning away from that being the best strategy, but we'll see. Right. I think, you know, <laughs> every politician likes to overplay their hands, you know, sometimes. Um, but I think, uh, you know, among Democratic leadership, I think they're they're afraid of overplaying their hand on, on impeachment. I can understand the way it turned out last time. Devlin Barrett, Washington Post reporter. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I, I don't think there are many people that came out of the Clinton impeachment and didn't think, well, that was a good that was a good use of the nation's time. That was great. That was a good time, wasn't it? I mean, it was really fun at the time. God, we talked about it every single day. And uh, it was just fantastic. I mean, in terms of entertainment. But at the end of it, it seemed like, okay, why did we do this for the last, God, was six months or however much without without paying attention to anything else that was going on in the world? You know, there's some people made the argument that that, that helped in, uh, 9-11-2001 happen because we were so distracted for so long with things going on around the world not paying attention to them. It is a big distraction in impeachment, no doubt about it. Let's let the voters decide at the polls. Get all the information out there and we'll all look at it and decide then. Um, how's the caravan doing there in Tijuana and how are the Tijuanans responding to having all these people in their midst? Have a little more on that coming up. Hope you can stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Thank you.